Hey there, and welcome to Comrider AA, otherwise known as the Daddy Fight Podcast, where we watch daddies fight, and sometimes they're unfinished. Episode 13 of Comrider Kivu is called Unfinished Daddy Fights, and I don't know how I'm supposed to live with that. Is it because Otolia and Jiro want to be daddies, and they want Yuri to be the mommy? That hurts me physically. Well, it hurts me as well, but that's definitely what Jiro wants. Jiro does want to be the daddy. And Otoya is at least the daddy of one person. So uh, that's Adam, by the way, and I'm Anna. I don't think I said that. I just went straight to the daddies. <laughs> it's hard not to with a title as weird as that. Got it, daddy? You ready to go, daddy? Daddy-o. Daddy? Swinging, daddy-o. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of the uh, super clip of uh, Riverdale, of Veronica just saying, daddy? Because... <laughs> The, the char- like it, it makes sense for the character, but she always calls her dad by daddy. <laughs> Even when they're like taking him down for trying to get her boyfriend killed. It's like, you're going to prison forever, daddy. Okay. <laughs> Riverdale is a great show, and I will not hear any words to the otherwise. Huh. I've never watched it, and I don't think it's really my speed. I think I can make the argument that it's tokusatsu, so guess what our first Patreon special is going to be? God damn it. Uh, but anyway, uh, Unfinished Daddy Fight is Comrider Kiva episode 13, written by Toshiki Inoue, the man, the myth, the legend, and directed by Naomi Tamura. Here's an interesting fact. He is the on- only director employed by TV Asahi to work for the Common Rider series. Because I guess uh, all the other... Uh, all the other Kamen Rider directors are all uh, uh, in-house for Toei. Ah, uh, I see. He's uh, done He's done a lot of good stuff. Started off with about seven or eight episodes of Fies, and then a few episodes each season here or there. He directed the Kiva episodes for Kamen Rider Gio, uh, which Inoue actually directed, so... Uh, you said episodes. Does that mean there are crossovers... Uh, Within the individual seasons, as opposed to just the movies. Yeah, uh, Comrade Gio is the is an anniversary season. Every two episode arc is a different previous Common Rider. It's uh, pretty cool. Uh, those two episodes are nice because uh, uh, the name character uh, Sogo he he ends up meeting with an escaped criminal who he mis- who he thinks is his first love and is like. There's no way that my sweet and beautiful first love would be able to commit murder. Spoiler, she did commit the murder. Well, but was she his first love? Unclear, actually. Huh. I mean, it it adds a little spice to the relationship. Knowing that you're dating a murderess. Oh, no. I'm on her uh, Kamen Rider uh, wiki page, and it's uh, in 2015 at the age of 24. She was arrested and incarcerated for a murder that she, she insists she didn't commit. However, this is a lie, and she's indeed the one who committed the murder. I don't know why, that just feels like a funny way of to organize those sentences. Yeah, but either way, we we did indeed watch episode 13 of Kamen Rider Kiva, Unfinished Daddy Fights. I, god, that's just a weird title. Ready to go, daddy? Oh, I feel, I feel sick. Last line of End of Evangelion, I feel sick. Ugh. We start the episode in the immediate aftermath of Kiva and Ixa's fight. An injured Keisuke is limping along in a tunnel. Uh, I, bl- I believe we can also nickname this tunnel the Tunnel of Injuries, because I think this is the same tunnel that every common Rider will use to limp down. At the very least, the early Heisei ones. It's like, oh, did, a, did somebody just like lose a fight a little bit and like needs to limp away with some uh, like injury makeup? This is the tunnel. It's the injury tunnel. Okay. I look forward to seeing more of it. Megami rushes to help Keisuke in an act of kindness Keisuke doesn't really deserve, but Keisuke petulantly brushes her off. Yeah, because Megami is our goddess, and Keisuke is a dickbag. Yeah. A little bit later, Megami reports news of Ix's defeat to Shima, who is apparently unsurprised by Keisuke's failure. Yeah, he, he knows how much of a little bitch Keisuke is. By the way, these, these, these are some real hating Keisuke hours. Shima seems... I don't know. He seems like the the one of the bunch who seems the wisest, but he gave Ixa to Keisuke, though. So, <laughs> I don't know. 
I think he's, it's not that he's the wisest, it's just that he's the oldest, so everyone just thinks he's wise. I guess. But elsewhere, Kengo, Shizuka, and Wataru are having band rehearsal. They're playing the only song they know, Destiny's Play. Hey, if, if you got a one-hit wonder, you gotta milk that shit. Yep, Kansas did. Carry on, wayward sons of banger. There'll be peace when you water. Do it. Rest. Don't you cry no more. Welcome to uh, Ultra Natural, our supernatural podcast. That's right, we tricked you. (laughs) You thought the Spider Fangar could pull off the longest con? It was us. (laughs) However, the three bandmates each fail their perception checks and to notice a mysterious man wearing tinted glasses and a ring with a red jewel watching them. And I apparently failed my own perception check because there's a choir of Kivats outside my window belting an operatic rendition of the OP. And it's getting louder and louder. Oh God, it's deafening. Ah! It hurt. My ears are bleeding. In Kingo's apartment, Wataru was being treated to some okonomiyaki by Kingo. Kingo and Wataru have a sweet moment in which they mutually affirm their friendship. Yeah, they uh, they both uh, cut their fingers and let the blood drip into a bowl of sake, and they both take a sip. They basically do that, yeah. Kingo lays out his ambition of making it big on the rock and roll scene with Wataru. After Wataru leaves the apartment, he gets rushed by the mysterious man from earlier. The man calls Wataru a diamond in the rough and introduces himself as a music producer, I think. He offers to sponsor Wataru, but Wataru is reluctant, thinking that Kingo is more deserving. Also, th- this feels like a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers plot in the beginning. Like, I have seen this episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> oh, I've seen this this sort of plot play out in a lot of stuff. It's it's the whole do I sacrifice my friendship to pursue my professional ambitions or do I or do I just sort of stay small and just chill with my bros? The the idea of like a music producer walking through the park and seeing this band play, but only one of the members is on there and also they're a monster. Like that is a that is, that is a power ring. Like, there are probably seven or eight episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with this exact plot. Oh, totally. But yeah, Wataru wants Kengo to be to join in on this, but producer San is more interested in Wataru and refuses to take on Kengo. I should note that Wataru and the producer have this conversation in what looks to be a sort of a hipster cafe that's just completely abuzz with film grain. It's art. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. In 1986, Jiro is getting both a massage and boots shine from none other than the other two arms monsters, whose names we learn are the Merman's is Ramon, and the Franken's name is Riki. So I guess I was right about the species of the third arms monster. To be not fair to you, you guessed a vampire first, so... Eh, anyway... And apparently, apparently, Ricky and Ramon have the day jobs of a boot shiner and a masseuse. They they go through a lot of jobs. It's cute. Ramon complains a bit about how hard it is to live among humans while also avoiding the Fengires. It gets stated that the arms monsters are the last surviving members of the Wolfen, Merman, and Franken races. Jiro also loudly proclaims that his race, the Wolfen, will be revived. I will become the daddy. Yes, he will be the daddy. In the Kurenai home's bathtub, Wataru confides in Kivat that while he wants to support Kengo's dream, he also doesn't really want to be a rock star. Yeah, he, he's more of the type to be like a blues singer. He would, wouldn't he? Either that or like an Ed Sheeran slash Taylor Swift type. Elsewhere in the producer's office, which is made to look like a creepy altar-like space. The producer from earlier is burning a Polaroid of Wataru while lamenting what a waste he was. Uh, so uh, this actor is Satoshi Jimbo, and this man has had a few pretty big roles in Common Rider. Well, one big role, one minor role, but he was uh, Hideyoki Kagawa 
who uh, co- uh-huh. who's Common Rider Alternative Zero in Common Rider Ryuki, huh. uh, who's uh, one of the thousands of Common Riders in that show, and one of the more interesting, in my opinion. Huh. And he was also Takashi Satake in Common Rider Forze as the uh, as the detention teacher that helps bring the Breakfast Club together, literally. Huh. And then he also shows up in because. There's also a sweet moment in the movie that takes place in the future, where in the in the uh, pre- in the present day in the TV show, he keeps on calling uh, Gentaro bad boy because uh, English and it's funny or something, but also because he's a harsh person. Then in the future, Gentaro has become a teacher. He gives him a thumbs up and says, "You are a good man." Aw, he he really kind of hams it up for this for these two episodes as the. Rhinoceros Spangire. Uh, his name is the Cape with the Shipwreck and the Scarlet Sands. God damn it. In 1986, at a swimming pool, Jiro is swimming some practice laps while Yuri times him. Jiro has a moment in which he submerges himself and pretends to be drowning. Yuri dives to his rescue but sees that he's just being a shit. They have a flirtatious moment that gets interrupted by Otoya on a boogie board. They were about to bone down in that pool. Like, they were about to contaminate that pool for everyone else coming afterwards. Yeah. Back in 2008, Wataru is showing Kengo around his house. Wataru tells Kengo that his own dream is to make a violin that surpasses Otoya's bloody rose. Kengo is initially dismayed by this since he wants Wataru to join him in breaking out onto the rock and roll scene. But Wataru convinces Kengo that even though their dreams aren't the same, they can still be good friends. It's so good. It's so fucking good. It is. It's a very sweet moment. Later, Kengo gets approached by the same music producer from earlier, who gives him the same line about being a diamond in the rough. Dun-dun-dun. Later, Megumi is walking out of a restaurant as a car comes speeding down the street. Keisuke walks in front of the car and identifies its driver as one of his bounties. The driver tries bailing out of the car and running, but Keisuke grabs and beats the shit out of him. Much more brutally than ever before, it should be noted. Yeah, uh, This guy is beating people up so much that even the police are like, Whoa, calm down, we can't go that far. Yeah... Megami tries stopping him, but Keisuke pushes her away. Cape Dog continues his assault of the man while ranting about how he's the strongest until the police officers arrive and drag both of them off. In 1986, Jiro is stalking another woman who smells like coffee. Though this is presumably not a regular of Maldemore, but of some other coffee joint since... He, he's willing to go for some, uh, you know off-the-shelf ground beef in order to get the uh, the uh, Kobe steak that is Yuri in the future. Oh, wow. God, I felt disgusting even saying that. Yeah. I swear to God, I am an ally of all human women. Much like Otoya. But Jiro gets close to this woman, but fortunately Otoya jumps in between them before he can do anything. Otoya calls himself the ally of all human women and tells Jiro that instead of trying to get close to human women, he should find a monster girl instead. It's accidental, but that is the most triggering thing you can say to Jiro. It's like, hey, buddy, person, I hate you, by the way. Hey, Jiro, why don't you stop trying to have sex with human women and instead go find a person of your own race? Intense flashbacks to the genocide. But yeah, Jiro beats uh, Otoya so fiercely that the glare on the camera has to censor it for us. And it should, it's important to note, however, that Jiro drops the Ixa belt piece before assaulting Otoya. I love the Ixa belts, I love the Ixa suit, but apparently the fist summons the belt to you because when people steal or grab the uh, the Ixa system, they only do, do the fist, and then the belt just appears on them between shots. It's hilarious, kind of. Yeah, I noticed that. In a construction site in 2008, Kingo is working at a day laborer job. Wataru happens upon him, and they talk for a bit. Kengo says that he got scouted and that he needs to scrape together some money for the producer to let him make his debut. Wataru resolves to help with this and takes to working at the same place as Kengo. When will you ever have a friend that would do that for you? Do, do, would any of you guys out there work a job solely to help finance your friend's mu- music career? Because I wouldn't. 
all of us deserve a Wataru in our lives, but all we get are Atoyas. That's not so bad. I mean, he will protect you from werewolves. There is that. Later that evening, Shizuka voices her concern to Wataru that this whole thing might be a con. Wataru dismisses her concerns by saying that it's not so good to be so suspicious of people. At a remote location, an artist is painting a landscape. The producer from earlier approaches and the artist asks him when he intends to open his art show. The producer declares that the artist's passion has fully blossomed and that he will taste it. The producer then ships into Fengire form, that of a rhinoceros, and closes in on the artist. Do you want to know what would be kind of hilarious? Do tell. If uh, the cape and the sh- with the shipwreck and the Scarlet Sands wasn't a Fangire, but it was just a regular everyday con and like there was no Fangire in 2008, just learning a lesson about trusting shady businessmen. Yeah, that's it's one of the, it would be one of those the real monster was man all along sort of deals. It reminds me there was an epi- an earlier episode of Supernatural where, in which yeah, where it was just a serial killer and not a monster. Well, it was a bunch of rednecks who were who were just hunting people. Oh yeah, there there are fit. There's not a ton of those episodes, but the, those are always good. But yeah, at the construction site, Wataru and Kengo are working hard. But Wataru has to bail when he senses the Fengire activity. In 1986, Jiro is eating the woman that Otoya saved earlier. So much for the protector of all human women. As Jiro finishes his meal by slurping up the woman's soul, Otoya appears and says that Jiro is no different from the Fangires. Jiro contests this and reveals to Otoya that he is a proud wolfen. Otoya, rightfully, says that he doesn't care and that Jiro is a man-eating monster either way. Otoya then asks if Jiro intends to eat Yuri. Jiro responds by stating that he will have Yuri bear his pups instead. It's fucked, y'all. He taunts Otoya about this and says that Yuri wants him. Otoya, with tranquil fury, headbutts Jiro and says that he will not lay a hand on Yuri. Back in 2008, the artist is being pursued by the Rhino Fangire. The Fangire eats the artist as Wataru makes it onto the scene. Wataru calls Kivat and they henching into Kiva. Kiva gets some punches in, but they have very little effect against the Fangire's sheer toughness. In an attempt to even the odds, Wataru summons Ramon as Basha Magnum, but that doesn't help either. Uh, this is some of my favorite stuff where, you know, next episode we're finally going to get uh, the uh, Franken form, but this is a reason why he's using it as opposed to why he didn't use it before, because he hasn't come across such an armored foe before, you know? He's, he, yeah, he's coming across, it's like, oh, I can't beat him as myself, and Basha can't punch through. I'm not even going to bother with Wolfen, and I'm going to just go straight to, uh... What happens is the Fangire retreats, but that doesn't make sense why. He clearly had Kiva on the ropes. I mean, I I think he knew when not to, like, push his luck, because Kiva is currently, like, 10 for 10 against Fangires, you know? And he's like, well, all right, I got him off my back, and, like, my my cousin Gregory... Uh, told me about how his friend Joshua got killed by this giant-ass hammer, so I'm not going to risk letting him take that out, so I'm just going to head out now. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, the rhinoceros Spangai retreats, leaving Kiva to wallow in failure. In 1986, Jiro has Otoya lifted by the neck. Jiro tosses Otoya aside, but Otoya reveals that he has the belt and fist piece needed to henshin into Iksa. Which is exactly what he does. It's time for Otoya to fist on, baby. Wait, fuck, no. All right, Jiro, it's time for me to fist you. Wait, fuck, shit, no. All right, Jiro, it's time for you to get a fist up your ass. Wait, no, fuck, shit. Either way, this is a very cool-ass scene. Otoya henshining into Iksa greatly tilts the odds in his favor. As Iksa, Otoya proceeds to take Jiro down several pegs. And the episode ends on a freeze frame as Iksa lobs a fireball into Jiro's dumb wolf face. I think that really, really, uh, like, helps show how powerful Iksa is because Jiro is shown to be able to manhandle, uh, Fangires before. Like, the spider Fangire and the frog one earlier, 
Like he, he he's tougher than the average Fangire. Yeah, but that I, that begs the question: How did the Fangires wipe out pretty much all the other demonic races? Well, I had Kanjiro as being some sort of like warrior honor guard, but also high tier Fangire are leagues beyond standard Fangire or any of the other races. Maybe it's just because the Fangires were just more numerous than every other race. Oh, uh... And they had the advantage of numbers. I will say this. Uh, the advantage that the Fangires uh, used to destroy the uh, wolf and uh, mermen and Franken race was not numbers. Huh. It was the opposite of numbers, but okay. So I don't want to spoil it. Okay. But yeah, that ends the episode. Uh, which brings us to our Rider of the Week. So, for me, I can't pick between Otoya and Kengo for this episode, so I'm just going to go with both. Kengo had some genuinely sweet moments with Wataru, and Otoya kind of vindicated the perspective Wataru has of him as being a pure person who hates evil. Yeah, that Otoya has such a good showing, and I agree, but I'm going to give it only to Kengo, because... Uh, I. I feel Kengo won't have as many times to shine as Atoya because, you know, he's not a rider. Like, he's, you know, Wataru's friend. So I, I'm, I'm going to give it to him because the guy deserves it. Because he's just like, hey, Wataru, let's make a blood pact right now and then maybe go down to the courthouse and get married. So yeah, my, my ride of the week is just going to be Kengo because I, I know Atoya gets more riders of the week in the future. All right. My monster of the week, on the other hand, is Jiro. As though murdering people on a physical and spiritual level weren't bad enough, he wants to use Yuri as a baby factory. So, fuck him. Yeah, Jiro is the absolute worst. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it. He is as bad, if not worse, than some of the fangires we've seen. Hard to believe I thought so highly of him before. Well, all we had of him before is that he lived in Wataru's dragon castle and wore a nice suit. Either way, my episode rating is probably my highest yet, 9 out of 10. This episode was good. We got some emotionally affecting moments between Wataru and Kengo, and we ended on a high note with a f cool fight scene with Otoya smacking Jiro around. It's a, I'm glad you're giving an episode such a high rating. Uh, for me, I'm simply going to give it an 8.5. I'm just going to give it an 8 out of 10. I thought it was good, but I loved the next episode even better. And I know that there are even better episodes of Kiva that I don't want to give tens, but I but I know are better than this one. I, I, I'm using a lot of hindsight to judge these things, so that's uh, re really quickly viewership for the for this episode of of Common Rider Kiva was six point one percent. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and demo or work or perhaps workshop a new segment. So. Anna and I are pretty big into the Persona series of video games. They've given tarot and the sort of means of divination that tarot is a bigger place in geek culture. Tarot, I think, is also an interesting way of correlating one's own thoughts through archetypal symbolism. So in this segment I'd like to workshop, I'm going to assign a major arcana tarot card to a character this episode and see how this extrapolates on their characterization and personality. So, said character for this episode is Keisuke, who I feel is well represented by a reversed justice. Normally, justice is indicative of impartiality, law, and order, and Keisuke is well into displaying the worst possible versions of those concepts. He's starting to only care about his own version of law and order to the detriment of everyone around him. He's also only considerate of his own perspective and refuses to acknowledge other people's views. That's pretty good. I'm also going to say Jiro kind of fits into that reverse uh, justice because like he's saying this is for the wolf and race like that like I'm getting vengeance on the fang like and he refuses to see the hypocrisy of his justice and that now he's become as bad if not worse than the fangire. Jiro is kind of pursuing his own version of a greater good. Granted, it's a greater good for his race and maybe that of uh, for Ricky and Ramon as well, since they're, the three of them seem to be living in the same shack. 
Ricky and Ramon are just sort of vibing and just going along with what Jiro does. And they're like, well, we all we all met at Monster College and like we don't have anything better to do because everyone we know and love is dead. But so we'll just follow along with this guy. Either way, that's episode 13, uh, which brings us to episode 14 of Common Rider Kiva. Pomp and Circumstance, The Shocking Purple Eye. Yep. Written by Toshiki Inoue and directed by Naomi uh, Naomi Tamura again. So uh, these two are a pretty good combination. I think they are, yeah. Uh, granted, they're the Power Rangers sort of trope that you mentioned earlier of just the character having to choose between his friends or the or the careers is all over this arc, but yeah. Uh, Naomi Tamura directed The Bees Insanity and I'm Not Your Friend from Kamen Rider Kabuto. Some of the best episodes of Kabuto. Huh. Huh. We start this episode with the fireball Ixa just threw at Wolf and Jiro, causing Jiro to go flying. Concluding that he's outclassed by Ixa, Jiro retreats. Such a proud wolfen warrior. Otoya disengages the henshin, but as he marvels at Ixa's power, he keels over in pain and loses consciousness on account of Ixa's extant flaws. At the construction site in 2008, Shizuka spying on Kengo and Wataru as they work their day laborer gig. We cut to Kengo's apartment, where the two continue to bro out as Kengo's downstairs neighbor yells for them to shut up. And there's something really nice about such healthy, positive, masculine friendships like this. I get similar vibes from Finn and Poe's friendship in The Force Awakens. It's just it's just really sweet to see these two guys wholeheartedly support each other, I think. Yeah, like, there there aren't any terms or conditions to their friendship here, you know? Like, they, they met each other, and they just bonded, and it's like, did we just become best friends? You know? It's good. It's a pure friendship. And th- these these scenes with Wataru and Kengo just chilling, like, it, it makes sense why Wataru, like, goes feral in the end of, at the end of the episode. Later, in that dimly lit restaurant with the film grain where Wataru met with producer San, Kengo was talking to said producer, slash Rhino Fengire. Kengo just gave the man a fuck ton of yen and asks him when he'll have the concert put on. In a typical con artist move, producer San tells Kengo not to rush things and that Kengo should continue to build up his passion. In Café Maldemore, Shima is scolding Keisuke for having gotten in trouble with the cops, implying this wasn't the first time Keisuke has gotten overzealous with his day job. Please stop murdering people, Keisuke. We can't keep on paying everyone off. Shima seems more aware of Keisuke's instability than I originally thought. He asks if losing to Kiva is what sent Keisuke over the deep end. Keisuke snaps at Shima and blames Ixa for the defeat. Shima placates Keisuke by informing him of an impending upgrade that Ixa will receive, one that might enable Ixa to finally defeat Kiva. One creative timesition later, the the commemorative plates that commemorate a year. Yeah, they uh, start going back and do 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 do. I'm gonna say this about Shima. I I think he's just treating Keisuke like a rabid dog to unleash, because. Keisuke, unfortunately, kind of is the best fighter that they have. And he, he is tough, because statistically, Ixa is weaker than Kiva. Like, I, I don't know if, like, the statistics for in, like, the data books or whatever support this, but in show, it feels like that Ixa is not as strong as Kiva. Yeah. And I think because of that, Shima's like, well, all right, Megumi's good, but Keisuke is... He he got that he got that crazy energy. I know they say not to stick your dick in crazy, but sometimes you need crazy to beat a vampire. Back in the 1986 version of the cafe, Jiro is telling Yuri that Sh- and Shima that Otoya has stolen Ixa and has used the rider system to assault Jiro himself. We, the audience, know that Jiro is leaving out a fuck ton of context, and Shima seems to be catching on to this himself. But in a funny moment. Boss vouches for Jiro. This is too good. He said, Boss says that a lover of both coffee and Onyanko Club couldn't possibly be a bad guy. 
boss pulls out an Onyako fan club membership card and Jiro mirrors the gesture with his usual deadpan expression. It's, it's so wild. And the fact that boss is like, hey, there's no way Jiro could ever hurt anyone ever. He loves a coffee and Onyanko. Meanwhile, in the in the foreground, or in the background, I mean, Jiro's just murdering an eating woman. I wonder if you'd eat a member of Onyanko Club if she drank enough coffee. Later, Yuri is using a payphone to call Otoya, but Otoya can just apparently teleport to within 50 feet of Yuri. Uh, th- this is cl- this is a classic Kiva moment. Like, you see gifts of this all over the Kiva Tumblr. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Otoya can teleport to Yuri's immediate vicinity at any given time, so he's already there. Yuri angrily demands that he return Ixa, but then gets concerned that Ixa's backlash may be harming him. Otoya shit-talks Jiro and tells Yuri that J-Dog wants to use her as a puppy mill. I mean, if we take the uh, the night at the pool uh, for what it is, Yuri may not be entirely opposed to that if we take out all the murder context. Yuri then calls Shima with the same payphone and informs that Otoya is more cartoon character than man and therefore cannot be hurt by Ixa. <laughs> Just so you know, I, I am doing the moves like on my own end because I kind of got them a bit memorized because I've watched that gif so many times. Also, I don't I don't think it's a dance crew. I, I think it's just like some sort of like uh, jazzercise thing like done in the park. Because I'm pretty sure most of the, uh, there were a lot of people and a lot of them were businessmen. No, there were just three guys. Really? God, my my memories are fading. I'm I, I'm just too focused on on Atoya being ba 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 jazz hands. I should note, dear listener, if you haven't watched the episode, while this is going on, while Yuri's on the phone with Shima, Otoya is just dancing along with this dance crew in the background. And he seems to have the routine completely down. It's pretty funny. Chances are he's the one who created the dance, the dance uh, routine. And it's like, oh, it's you guys. Great to see you again. Ba, 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 da. We cut to Otoya writhing in agony in a public restroom. Once he's recovered, he steps out and continues to put on a tough front to Yuri. Uh, Also, it's good to see Otoya be like this, like... A lot of what I read into him was reading into it because I knew about this stuff. I knew about Atoya, like, even as he's, like, probably suffering from organ failure, putting on a smiling face because he refuses to worry anybody with his problems. He's... Otoya's pretty complex. But, yeah, we see the 1986 counterpart of the producer slash Rhino Fengar walk to frame uh, the as... The cape with the shipwreck and the scarlet sands? Yes, yes. But yeah, he walks into frame as Yuri and Otoya walk off, and he approaches a young man who is practicing some baseball pitching. The pitcher recognizes the producer and hands some money to him. The producer states that the pitcher's passion for his dream is the real deal and assumes his rhinoceros form. He eats the pitcher, taking his catching mitt as a trophy, and then lets out a comically loud burp. Yeah, because on one hand, it's terrifying because he just ate this man after filling him up with hopes and dreams, and then he burped. Yeah, kind of crosses the line twice. It crosses it like ten different times. This, This show crosses the line like five times an episode, pretty much. Yeah. And it should be noted that they keep adding new bits to the, to the Fengar feeding process. It used to be that the people would just turn transparent upon getting their necks stabbed, but now their life co- energy comes flying out as multicolored orbs and into the Fengar's body. I, I guess the, the budget went up for their effects as they were filming. I don't yeah, know. It, it's a bit too much. I prefer just having the fangs turning them transparent and then shattering them. At the producer's office, he sets the pitcher's baseball and catching mitt in front of a framed photo of the kid. This is the newest addition to a collection of trinkets and photos that the rhino has gathered. 
the rhino lets out a stereotypically evil laugh and times this into 2008. Yep. Like that, yes. But yeah, we time-zition to 2008, where this graveyard of dreams has only grown. The Rhino's present-day counterpart places a picture of Kengo on the display and says to himself that he will soon have a new addition to his collection. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this. Did you yeah. think Kengo would have died, was going to die in this episode? No, I didn't. I figured Wataru would save the day. All right. Because, I mean... Ken- Kengo isn't in like the credits, and he uh, and I don't know. I, I feel I- I'm sure some people were like, "Oh no, Kengo might die because you know he's hasn't become he isn't a main character, so yet he- he's in that realm of killable." Yeah, I don't know. I that seems like a lo- if they were to kill him off, I think it'd be wasting too much writing potential. Yeah, but imagine the angst. Imagine the man angst, the mangst in Cafe Maldemore. Megumi is talking to Wataru about producer San. She tells him that young people tend to disappear after accepting his quote-unquote sponsorship. Megumi says that this likely means he's a fangire. I, 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 think, I think that's actually pretty neat, because uh, it shows that uh, the Blue Sky organization is investigating even when we don't see them. Yeah, not, not everyone is Kanko. Not everyone is obsessed with Kiva. We cut to the day labor job where Wataru was relaying Megami's concerns to Kengo. Kengo dismisses Wataru's warning and even accuses Wataru of being jealous. In the next scene, Shima is showing Keisuke the newest addition to Ix's arsenal. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this. Uh, as much as it's kind of annoying having uh, Ke- uh, Kengo be like, Nah, nah, Wataru, you're just jealous after all the sweet moments. After those episodes of uh, Saber, where it takes two sentences for everyone to to just be like, "Nah, I think I'm gonna throw away all my bonds of friendship." I'm uh, I'm more willing to accept this stuff. In the next scene, Shima is showing Keisuke the newest addition to Ix's arsenal, a goofy-looking robotic dinosaur construction crane mecha thingy. Right, uh, so that is called the powered Ixer. I'm not going to comment anymore. It looks like a goddamn Zoid. That thing is 7.5 meters tall. It's 12.7 meters long. Weighs 152 tons. Has a maximum speed of 32 kilometers per hour. And a maximum output of 41,895 kilowatts. Otherwise known as 58,000 PSI. Yes, Yuri and Otoya are each getting a massage and shoe shine from Ricky and Ramon in that little shack that the arms monsters seem to live in. Once Yuri and Otoya leave, Ramon addresses Jiro, who's lying up underneath the overpass the shack is under. Jiro asks Ricky and Ramon for a favor, which I can only assume is to help kill Otoya. And I was pretty much right. In the film grain restaurant, Kengo is asking the rhinoceros producer if he truly intends to help Kengo make his debut and not just make off with his money. As this conversation goes down, Wataru is spying on them and follows the producer out of the film grain dimension to the office where the murder shrines located. The film grain stuff? I don't know. I don't. I don't either. I. I think it was just the lighting just didn't work well with the camera they uh, used. They actually filmed those two scenes with actual film uh, because, like, they were just they accidentally returned the cameras to the studio. And we're like, oh man, fuck, we still have two scenes to film. It's like, oh, oh, hey, uh, Quentin Tarantino, you're here to visit your good friend. Uh, <laughs> you're here to visit your good friend Toshka Inoue. Can we borrow some of your film cameras? Wait, was it seriously filmed that way? No, that was a joke. Oh. But yes, Wataru follows the producer out of the film grain dimension into the office where the murder shrine is located. Wataru walks up to the murder shrine and examines all the trophies that the rhino has collected over the years. The rhino interrupts Wataru's sleuthing by proclaiming that the tenacious passion of young people is what he craves the most. It's fucked up and so unsettling and horrifying to see all those trophies and watch her to realize what they are. 
He assumes Spangar form and tosses Waturu, Waturu a bit. Kivat comes, and with cold fury, Waturu henshins into Kiva. He, and he gives a good delivery of that classic line, It's you I can't forgive. It's so good. He, the pissed off energy is just oozing off the screen, and you know a beatdown is coming. Yeah. Kiva and the rhinoceros start to fight, but Kiva continues to struggle to get through the Fangire's hide. Kiva does, however, throw the Fangire off the rooftop, prompting it to run away. In 1986, Yuri is looking for Otoya, who is off having another agony episode in a forest on account from using Ixa. Jiro appears in front of Otoya and demands that he return Ixa. Otoya refuses, and they each henshin into their wolfen and rider forms. In 2008, Kengo was practicing his guitar rips when the rhino fangire approaches him with the intent to chow down. Fortunately, Kiva intercepts and draws the rhino's aggro. Still having trouble breaking through the rhino's defense, Kiva decides to slot in the purple whistle and summon Ricky from Castle Doran in the form of Dogahama, the new arms monster for grants Kiva increased strength and a sledgehammer as a weapon. That he, like, drags on the ground and it, like, scrapes out. Yeah, it's... you get a real sense for its weight. Kiva uses the hammer as well as a new finishing move to put an end to the Rhino Fangire. Back in 1986, Ixa Otoya and Wolf and Jiro are continuing their fight. Ixa has the wolf on the reins, but the tables turn when Ramon and Merman form shoots at Ixa. Pretty rapidly, Otoya's henshin is turned off, and he's forced prone underneath Jiro's paw, awaiting a coup de grace ending the episode. It's a, it's a good cliffhanger, because it's like, oh man, is Wataru's father going to die before Wataru's born? Who knows, maybe Otoya was a sperm donor. <laughs> or, or maybe Wataru is already like being born, he just looks very young. Either way, my rider of the week uh, is Well, Wataru. actually, hold up, because we forgot something for the previous episode. Because oh. uh, do you have any idea what Lucifer Metal is? Oh, no! Because what I the fuck escape. is Lucifer Metal? And while I may not know what Lucifer Metal is, I do know what the Thunderfinger is. It is the hands. It inherits Doga's grip strength and boasts the highest destructive power out of all the monster's forms. The palm has a myriad of connecting organs that can absorb power from the Doga Hammer's grip without wasting power. And uh, to make up for not forgetting to do it for episode uh, 13, I will also tell you about the lightning shield, the gauntlets. They are made out of Lucifer metal. Yeah, that's right, Lucifer metal. And along with the strength of the great arms, they can easily shrug off tank bombardments as if they were candy. It is not an exaggeration to say that conventional human weapons are ineffective against it. You'd think with all the badass traits the monsters of this world have, that they would have teamed up and just turned humanity into sort of a livestock slave race. Well, that would require the Fangires to team up with the other lesser races. Once we get, once we meet the higher ups of the Fangire race, we realize that they basically already think of humans as a lesser slave race. Huh. Uh, also, we I don't think we talked about uh, how Doga looks. Because Garulu transforms his left side, Basha his right, and Doga's the middle. Yeah. And that's pretty good. It is. With those like giant ass uh, uh, shoulder, shoulder armor things. What are they called? Pauldrons. Pauldrons. Like, and he actually does have some pretty awesome-looking gauntlets that apparently can shrug off tank fire like candy. Yeah. Do- Doga is good. Doga it's is pretty cool. Yeah. Doga is love. Doga is life. Aw, oh, man. Get Doga'd. My Rider of the Week is Wataru. This is the first time I think we've seen him legitimately furious, and it was fucking righteous. Yeah, that, Wataru did so good in this episode with that last uh, scene, but... I'm going to give it to Atoya because this is the first time we see the real, real Atoya. Like, we've seen hints of it, like with the violinist that uh, that was like a siren with her violin. Yeah. And uh, with uh, his boyfriend, the frog fangire. Uh-huh. But, like, 
I, I think this is the most we've seen, like, and, and unrelated to music, because those things, that was like him loving music more than he loves humanity. But like, this is him proving that he can be a good person. My monster of the week is the rhinoceros spangeyer. Not only does it kill the young people who he claims to sponsor, he takes their fucking money. Does he, does he even need to do that? Do you, do you think rent is free, Adam? Do, do you think that he can afford that, uh, that, that office space, like, just willy-nilly? I don't know, it's just, it's just insult to injury, in my opinion. Even Fangire need to keep the lights on. Who's your monster of the week? It's the rhinoceros Fangire. He, uh... He, he reminds me of, and people who've seen Comrade Kuga, uh, he reminds me of the porcupine gronky, uh, the one that makes uh, Godai go like cold and angry, which is, I think, the highest praise someone can give a monster, because yeah. it's, it's just bad. He's just such a bad person and a bad villain and monster. It, I think this guy is top-tier villain material. Yeah, he's... Pretty scummy. Yeah, and the actor does a good job with him. Like He hams it up, yeah. Well, I think he hams it up in the way that like you would expect a like con artist to. He's not he's not gonna like be able to like trick somebody with like good self-esteem or anything. But like him hamming it up and having that infectious energy, like that that's what gets people like Kengo and the artist, you know? Yeah, and the baseball pitcher. Yeah, he could have been a star, man. He could have been an ace. Yep, what a waste. My episode rating is an 8 out of 10. This one was pretty good. Angry Wataru and a new form for Kiva made this a pretty solid outing. I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10. I was going to give it a 9 out of 10, but finding the Atoya dancing gif again, which I sent to you on Discord, like, remind me how much I love that. And also, with context, knowing... Like, seeing this episode with Atoya and seeing, like, where he ends up. Like, I'm I'm now able to more appreciate both this episode and, like, Atoya's character arc. I, I think this is an important episode to remember and keep in mind. And also, not only for Atoya, but also Wataru. Because I think this might be the first real time he's been angry, angry at a Fangire. Yeah. Like, he was kind of angry at the worst lawyer in the world, but... In this one, like Wataru was went to was willing to kill the Fangai or not destroy it, you know? If that distinction makes sense. Yeah, he would have been willing to deliberately inflict pain, not for the not just to kill or to protect people from it, but to just to hurt it. To get some sort of retribution. It, it's so good. And of course, we got Doga form, the last of the arms monsters. Uh-huh. And, uh, wait, hold up. God, I can never... Was was this the episode that Doga ate the, uh, Domino? Yes, he did eat, he did eat yeah, the Domino. I can never forget that scene, but, like, I can never remember what... He, he just... They were playing dominoes. It's like, it's my turn. And he just eats the goddamn Domino and flies out. And, like, you can see that Riki is like, what the hell? Well, he's Riki. Uh, sorry, I mean Ramon. Like, I, I like to think that uh, Riki's actor improved that. <laughs> and he's just like, whoa, wait, wait, hold up. Eiji Takigawa, did you just did you just eat that thing? <laughs> uh, oh, wow, Th that is a very handsome man. Uh, all right, okay. Uh, it seems his only real role is Riki. Uh, he retired from entertainment last year on March 9th. And in 2017, uh, when he was uh, a, um, filming for the adaptation of Yomi Washa Pedal, he uh -huh. lost his he lost control of his bike and had a serious spinal injury and had to be rushed to a hospital, Oof. like via helicopter. And yeah, that's sad. Oh yeah, that is sad. Uh, and now we have to end it on a downer. Gee, thanks. Uh, well, I can tell you that the viewership for this episode was 6.1%, the same as last week's. And we'll go ahead and wrap today's episode up with a visit to the Tarot Corner. So for the Rhinoceros Spangire, I'm giving him a reversed star. When upright, the star represents hope after overcoming or outlasting adversity. Reversed, it could be indicative of false or misleading hope. 
Which is something the rhino exploited for all it's worth. God, he's such a monster. Like, I, I hate I hate this Fangire. Like, he might be one of my top non-general ranked monsters. Because I, I remember this guy. I don't often remember Monsters of the Week. Like, I, I remember more right now because we've been podcasting and talking about it. But, like, off the top of my head, like, before we started this podcast, Fang, like, Monsters of the Week that I could remember... The frog, uh, this guy, and uh, like, and uh, two or three after this, including the bear, and it's yeah. just like this guy makes an impact. You you do not forget about the rhinoceros fangire. But with that, if you like, if you think we're remotely interesting, dear list, you could find us at Twitter at double underscore common. And if you think I'm interesting, I assure you I'm not. But if you do, you 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 are you are the reason people come to this podcast. I don't know about that. Uh, but you can also hear me at Apocalypse Now. It is an actual play Pokemon RPG podcast where we explore various eras of the Pokemon world and posit what they may be like. And we do it with different RPG systems. We are currently doing season two. Apocalypse now. Yep. In which the world is burned, but we're trying to put things back together and rise from the ashes. It it's it's a it's good. You guys should listen to it. Uh, what you guys shouldn't listen to is Wit and Bridge Girl, a podcast where I'm about two weeks late editing our episode because honestly, the only reason I I do the show is because I want to talk about my favorite book series. So yeah, you, you can theoretically check out Wit and Bridge Girl at Wit and Bridge Girl. Join us next time for Resurrection Checkmate 4. Oh, we're finally getting like the the quantumrate of baddies or the tetrumbrate, I don't know. We get we get the Fangire Court, is what they're called. So the big bads. Yeah. Alright, so let us sign off with our signature sign off, yep. which I totally did not like buy some time so I could remember what we did. <laughs> Are you ready, Adam? I am. Hen. Sheen.